0: Morning, church. Good to see you today. Worship team, thank you for leading us into God's presence this morning. Uh, Well done. Well done. Well, let's roll the clock back just a bit to the late 70s. Uh, when I became a follower of Jesus. And I heard teachings then that the European Common Market was in fact the ten horns of the beast in Revelation chapter 13. And that the UN action of 1948 made a nation uh, was a sure sign that the end was near. Back in those days, 30 years ago, uh, prophecy return. Hmm. Am I cutting out or does it just seem that way? Man. Hmm. Okay. We'll see what happens. And there was no doubt about it at that time. The uh, prophecy preachers said that the Lord Jesus was definitely returning in this generation, just like the Bible said. The prophecy preachers said it, and they were certain, and it didn't happen. So what do we do with that? Well, let me fast forward 10 years down the road. It was the late 80s, and I was a pastor now, and Edgar Wizenat became a household name among evangelicals. Uh, Wizenat was a former NASA rocket scientist, literally, turned prophecy teacher, and he wrote this booklet called 88 Reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. And that booklet was distributed to pastors and the evangelical community at large. And Wisenat predicted that Jesus would return to Rapture's church sometime during the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah in September 1988. So the church was abuzz with anticipation that Jesus might come back. Well, when the prediction failed, Wisenat nevertheless remained unchanged, in his opinion. So he moved the date back to October, and it didn't happen again. And he finally said, the evidence is all over the place that it's going to be a few weeks further. And it never happened in 1988. It was interesting to me, because I had a church leader at that time who absolutely bought into the fact that Jesus was coming in 1988. And this guy loved the Lord. He was just a a, a real influencer in the church at that time. But he was so convinced that he wrote letters to his unbelieving loved ones to receive after the rapture date, postmarked that way, explaining what had happened. And he actually changed his will so that none of his possessions would fall into the Antichrist hitmen. Guess what happened when Jesus didn't come back? Huh? 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 What happened there? And date setting has been happening for a long, long time in the church. It's a part, I guess, of, of who we are. But it's time to look back in the scriptures again for the truth. Uh, do you have sermon notes? Again, you're going to need them. This is a little different format, doing a little more teaching than preaching. But you're going to need sermon notes because some of the stuff we couldn't fit on slides, so they're in the notes, but not on the screen. And I'd like you to have those. So if you need sermon notes, would you kindly raise your hand, and our ushers will spring into action. Not literally, but okay. So keep your hand up, and uh, we'll get you those sermon notes so you can follow along. Again, uh, because the format's a little different, if you have a relevant question and would like to ask it during the presentation, feel free to raise your hand and do so. Rhonda, do you have a question? You're just waiting for sermon notes. Okay, good. So Rhonda's demonstrating the hand-raising technique. Okay, that's very good. Thank you, Rhonda. All right, here we go. Now, the Bible's teachings on the Lord's return are there for a very specific reason, I believe. Uh, It should remind us, as we just sang, that there is victory. Uh, We got a couple right here up front that need some sermon notes, so thank you. Good. So it should comfort us, but it should also challenge us to be ready for the Lord's return, but also to make sure that others are ready for his coming as well. Because it's not about us, it's about those who are outside of the family of God who need to be made ready as well. So that's what our summer series called That's All Folks is really all about. And let's take just a moment and pray this morning, shall we? Because I'm presenting some concepts that may seem a little foreign, a little weird, and uh, we just need understanding and clarity from God. So let's pray. Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. Uh, We have worshipped you in song. Uh, In a moment, we'll worship you in our giving. Uh, We want to worship you because of the truth of your word in this moment. Father, would you quicken our understanding? Would you allow us to take captive every thought under the obedience of Christ? to stay focused in this moment so that we might receive the truth that you desire to impart to us, not just for more information, but so that we might live like you're coming soon. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for us at the cross as our Savior, and we rejoice that you're returning as our coming King for those of us that know you. So we say, come, Lord Jesus we welcome you in this place in this moment as we pray together in jesus name and together all god's people said amen well so far we've been defining some terms so uh, i think by way of review uh, let's just see how we do with all this okay so this is your opportunity to display the knowledge that you gained over the past couple of weeks okay We are still looking for Apple TV. Come on, Apple TV. Pastor Michael, help. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we test all this stuff well in advance and... It should be on. It is on. It is on. That's a screensaver. This is just not. It up. Are you on gas too? Isn't it good when tech people figure this stuff out? You're on guest. Oh, this is not my iPad, by the way. Pray again. <laughs> okay, well, Michael takes a moment. I'm just going to continue. So we'll get to the screen in just a moment. We've been defining some terms. So uh, help me understand, what do you know about death? As we've talked about it these last couple of weeks. We talked about death with three definitions. What are they? Spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Nope separation of the sinner from God, right? So how many of us are spiritually dead? How many of us were once spiritually dead? If you were once spiritually dead, raise your hand. That's everybody in the room because we were all born sinners. Is that correct? Absolutely. Now, the second death we talked about was physical death. What's the definition of physical death? No heartbeat. No, that's not even a medical definition anymore. Uh by the way, if you weren't here for the first two messages, uh those are available online so you can figure that stuff out. What's the definition of physical death? The temporary separation of the soul from the body and spirit. That is correct. Why do I say temporary? Because at the resurrection Your body will be put back together with your soul and spirit. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, in this room right now, there will be a time when you are put back together and made whole again to face eternity. Fair enough? Okay. And the third death we talked about was eternal death, the second death. What is that? Okay. Okay. It's the eternal separation of the sinner from God. Correct? Correct as we read about in Revelation chapter 20. So we looked at death. We have talked about the fact that the Bible says we ought to think about death a lot more because we're all going to die. And it's very important that we consider what the Bible says about death because the medical community is kind of fudging on definitions and we really don't know a whole lot about death. And so we want to look at what the Bible has to say about that. And for some in this room, it makes you very uncomfortable, very squeamish to talk about death and that's okay that's okay that's okay because as we learned from hebrews chapter 2 the devil holds captive those who are held in bondage by the fear of death jesus came to liberate us thankfully from death Now, then we went on and we talked about things like Paradise, Sheol, Hades, etc. I'm going to trust that Michael is going to get this thing working, and we'll come back and illustrate that in just a moment. So we're going to bypass that review and go right into the Great Tribulation. So in your sermon notes, Roman numeral number one, so if we can kind of jump to that now. We're going to talk about the Great Tribulation okay now the great tribulation what is the great tribulation first of all we need to back up and look at the Greek word the Greek word is philipsis it means trouble, hard times or distressed without regard to time so understand when when the Bible uses the word tribulation at its core it means a time of testing a time of trial a time that's uh, just, just filled with all kinds of nasty stuff okay like most of our life is from time to time Jesus said this in John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows that word trials and sorrows is actually one word in Greek it's a word philipsis that we're talking about so there it's translated trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world so Jesus claims that he can overcome even those trials and sorrows as we just sang about now here's some other ways that the Bible uses the word philipsis that doesn't come across so well in our English translations okay it can be hardship. Acts 14, 22. They encourage the believers to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So when we pray to receive Jesus and we give people the impression that now your life's suddenly going to come together, you're going to have a perfect marriage with a perfect home, with a perfect job, and everything's going to kind of fall into place, that is totally bogus teaching totally bogus teaching when we come to faith in jesus we now have an adversary who's going to work diligently 24 7 against us and paul reminds us that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of god that is the truth of scripture also can be translated anguish it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born her anguish philipsis gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world now how many of you have had a baby Okay, do you understand the word anguish? Okay. All ladies are nodding. Yeah, I get that one. I get that one for sure. All right. How about misery? God gave Joseph unusual wisdom, so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery, Philipsis, and our ancestors ran out of food. Great misery. How about persecution? The believers who had been scattered during the persecution, Philipsis, after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia's Cyprus in Antioch of Syria. And last illustration, and we could give more, is trouble, trouble, Philipsis. If you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, Philipsis, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. Boy, now there's a true statement. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And together, all the married people said, Okay, so that's the word philipsis, right? So just an overview of what that word means. But what is this thing the Bible calls the great tribulation? The great tribulation. Revelation seven fourteen. He said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and been made white. Jesus put it this way. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. This is the great tribulation. What is that, according to the Bible? What is it exactly? Well, the next major event in Bible prophecy is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Okay? That is the next major event on the radar. Now, I'm not assuming that we all know that. In fact, when Cindy and I came to Jesus, we uh, processed for the first time later in life that Jesus was coming back. No one had ever told us that, that it registered with us. We didn't know that. So I'm not assuming that everyone in this room understands that Jesus is coming back again. That is the truth of Scripture. He is coming back again. And when he does, there will be a time of incredible disasters and wars and plagues and all kinds of nasty stuff preceding his second coming to the earth again. The Bible foretells all of these kinds of things. Now, in the Scripture, it's got a lot of different names. It's called the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, the end of the age, the day of the Lord, a bunch of others, but it's all describing the same thing. called this the Great Tribulation, this period in which the world is just kind of rocked to its core. Hmm. So, I want us to also understand the Bible nowhere mentions a specific seven-year period. Now, we in the evangelical community are saying the tribulation seven years. I say, show me in Scripture. Take me to Revelation and, and show me 1560 days or so many months or whatever else you want to do. Anything. There's nowhere the Bible mentions a seven-year period. Show it to me. It's not there. It's not there. So let's get back to what the Bible says. And let's make sure we're understanding what the Bible isn't saying. Now, I'm not saying seven years is wrong, but what I am saying is the Bible nowhere mentions a specific seven-year period, okay? And this is recorded. For anyone who'd like to challenge that, feel free to do so because it's not in the Bible, all right? So what we want to do then is is take a look at what does Scripture say. Oh, it compounds months and times. It could be three and a half, could be 10, could be uh, any combination. But the important point is this. Jesus is coming back. Are we close? Well, stay tuned because uh, next week, Pastor Michael is going to let us know, maybe, how close is the return of Christ? He may even identify who the Antichrist is. Hmm. That should be interesting. Okay. (laughs) All right, so let's just uh, pause for a moment. How are we doing with the technology up there? not connecting so it's good to have michael and jessica working together as a, a married couple oh they got it yay yay fantastic good good we'll get to it in just a second okay any questions i'm just doing an overview of this right we don't have a lot of time so i'm just giving you kind of an overview questions about the great tribulation that you have i want to make sure you understand this concept okay just the concept not all the weird kind of details that go with. What well, you the great tribulation uh, it's going to be golden, I know. Act of God or um, Satan allowed to do you. Okay, uh, Bob's asking what is the nature of the tribulation is is it a time uh, of God's testing or is it a time of Satan's unleashing? And Bob answered his own question. Thank you, Bob. Next question. <laughs> Yeah, the purpose of the Great Tribulation obviously is to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. It is an act of purging. It is an act in which the entire world will come under a one world system. You had it until you got up here and then it disconnected. Now you keep working on it. You keep working on it. I'd love to see you sweat. It's good. Because I'm all, I'm good with it. It's all good. It's all good. Okay? Uh, and so, The next major event of Bible prophecy will be the Great Tribulation. Is there anything that could keep the Tribulation from happening soon? No, there's nothing predictive in Scripture. And understand, uh, Christianity is one of the only world religions that is predictive in nature. There is much prophecy about what's to come in the Bible contained. No other world religion has that kind of understanding of how the events will come at the end of the age. Okay, I just want to make that clear. That's a uniqueness of the Christian faith. So, other questions about the Great Tribulation? Yes? In the past, there were always things indicative of what was going on with Israel as a nation being somehow connected. Is that, you know, true or not? Yeah, and that, that's a... Uh, Yes, good. I think that's an excellent, excellent question. What is the role of Israel in the end times? And that is a very deep theological question, uh, one that I appreciate. My personal opinion, my personal opinion, is that God made a covenant with Abraham that continues for all time. And when he said, "I will give you this land," I do believe that the role of Israel in the end times will be significant. Now, some will politicize that and then say, well, we had to have political alliances with Israel, blah, 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 So we want to be very careful when it comes to the political side. But I do believe that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. That's my personal opinion there. Now, we get, you know, back in the 70s, that was a big thing. You know, uh, the temple's got to be torn down, Temple Mount and all the stuff's got to happen, and prophecy teachers and preachers. Yes, there is some indication uh, that, in fact, Jesus, when he comes, will reign from Jerusalem. We do, do know that from Scripture. And so Israel's role is significant and is important, the way I understand Scripture. Good question. Good Another question? Yes. Does the Bible clearly state whether rapture is pre or post the tribulation event? Does What is the evidence? Okay. Well, first thing I would say to you is show me the word rapture in the Bible anywhere. It's not in there. So a lot of stuff that we we not, I'm not saying it's not there, but I'm saying the word is not there. Look in your Bibles. The word rapture is not there. And so we hinge on all kinds of things that we, hmm, hmm, hmm. Now, the concept is certainly there. And I'm not denying that or discounting it. But the way the word rapture is used and defined in Greek is much different than what we might think. So the question is, during the tribulation period, when will the church be taken out? And that's been disputed for a number of years and we won't quite get into that because I don't personally think it's really important I have my personal opinion about when the rapture will be so there's basically three ways we can look at that pre, mid, or post in other words Jesus comes before the rapture in the middle of or the tribulation in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation and there's godly people I believe all three and so I don't split hairs about that Um, I again have my personal opinion uh, but if it were significant, the Bible would have made it clear. And the evangelical community spends a lot of time saber-rattling over the fact of when the, is the rapture going to come? Well, how about my labor's lost and going to hell, and I don't even know his name. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe there's some significance there, huh? good not that it's not significant i'm not downplaying that at all that's a good good question my answer i don't know i don't know but i'm gonna be ready to the best of my ability good another question see i love twisting your brains because you've had all these terms we've used all this stuff for a long long time we've got to come back to what does the bible say what does the Bible say exactly? Now, we can build theological kinds of cases off of that, but we have to be careful. What does the Bible say? In the, if the Bible is silent, don't fill in the silences of Scripture, especially with talk show or tabloid theology. Don't fill in the gaps of silence of Scripture. It is silent for a reason. God wants it silent for a reason. Thank you. Thank you. Are you the messenger? Or do we wait for another? Thanks, Sam. It works. I don't know how, but... Well, let's hear for Sam Buckmeyer. It's Sam. All right. Okay. Now we can go on. Now let's see if the pen works. Okay. Good. So let's go back just a moment. Okay, I'm going to go back and mine out so you guys can kind of get caught up. Let's kind of get caught up about where we've been. All right. So this is the timeline. Yeah, and I heard some real facetious, sarcastic remarks about my drawing. <laughs> That's good. How many left-handed people we have out there? Okay. High five. Left-hand people, (laughs) left-hand. That's why it looks like this, of course. Okay, so the most significant event that we can ever talk about is what? The cross. The resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is the center of history. Now, in that, we looked at what happens to people in the Old Testament when they die. Where do they go? Is that kind of a southern shawl? <laughs> like old shawl? <laughs> That's okay. You understood it, right? Yeah. Okay. They all went to Sheol. What is the definition of Sheol? The place of the, the place of the dead. Are you guys sleeping? Are you with me on this? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I hope you're ready when Jesus comes. <laughs> you won't be sleeping then. Okay. Um, from Luke 16, we get the teaching that Sheol is divided into two compartments Lazarus and the rich man. Remember? One, good stuff's happening, the other, not so good. So if we take the term Sheol, how does it relate to Hades? good one is hebrew the other is greek they are synonymous very good we were just discussing this this week how people forget 80 percent of a message within 72 hours now after 72 hours i don't know what the percentage is but that's why we're reviewing okay so Everybody who died before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus went to this place of the dead called Sheol, divided into two compartments. When Jesus died, where did he go? By way of review. He went to Sheol, what did he do there? He proclaimed his victory. Okay, These are on the messages that we've already covered. And what did he do with all those people in this compartment that were waiting for him? Took them with him to where? Up. Sheol was always referred to as down, but now when anybody died afterward and they were followers of Jesus, they always went up to where? Paradise. Oh, you're rolling now. You are rolling. Rolling. Hmm? No, not rapture yet. Not yet. At least that's the way I understand it. Okay? So, Paul said he went to paradise, the third heaven. We explained all that last week. If you missed it, come and get it. It's online. Okay? All right, what else did we talk about before? Uh, 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 uh. Okay. All right, so now if you're an unbeliever, where do you go when you die? Yeah go down. And if you're a follower Jesus and you die, where do you go? Paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? All that clear? And then in those previous messages we talked about, can the dead see us, are the dead surrounding us, can we communicate with the dead? All those kinds of things were discussed. Okay? Now, we said the next major event in Bible prophecy is the tribulation. This is the tribulation, the great tribulation. This time on the earth filled with wars and plagues, famines and earthquakes, Mm. all kinds of stuff, all right? And the book of Revelation records much of this. So what happens after the tribulation? Anybody know? The thousand-year reign what do we call that the millennium the millennium that is absolutely right very good the millennium so uh, although the word millennium is also not found in the bible and there's a lot of words not find the bible right like where's the word trinity in the bible is it in there Nah, nah. There's all kinds of words that we use that are not found in Scripture. Now, certainly the concepts are like the word rapture, for example. The word millennium is not found in the Bible, although the concept is certainly there. The concept of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth for a thousand years is clearly spelled out. Now, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture for you from Revelation chapter 20. It's a little long, but I think it's absolutely key so revelation chapter 20 he sees the dragon that old serpent who is the devil satan and bound him in chains for a thousand years the angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished how many times have we mentioned thousand years so far twice okay afterward he must be released for a little while then i saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until a thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death, we know what that means, holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him how long? A thousand years. When the thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. So if we're thinking about this then, uh, it would look kind of like this. Kind of like you If, in fact, the next major event of Bible prophecy is the Great Tribulation, immediately found the Great Tribulation is this thousand-year reign of Christ called the Millennium. The Millennium. So this is the Tribulation. This is the Millennium. Right? So what is... The millennium. Well, uh, the Bible says it says thousand year golden age of peace and justice on the earth that will occur immediately after the great tribulation. Now, understand, I believe that we should always interpret the Bible literally unless it doesn't make sense. Does a thousand years make sense to you? I see therefore no reason not to believe that it is a literal thousand years. Always interpret scripture literally unless it doesn't make sense. Right? Where does the Bible not make sense if you interpret literally? For example. Yeah, pluck out your right eye, cut off your right hand. Right? None of us have plucked out an eye or cut off a hand, but we've all sinned with those things. So that is a point where the Bible is not to be taken literally. It's figurative. But always interpret Scripture literally. Unless it doesn't make sense. So, therefore, I believe that the millennium is, in fact, a literal thousand-year reign. There's nothing symbolic about the numbers. Thousand years, thousand years. And, apparently, our Lord Jesus will reign from the capital city of Jerusalem. We put that in your sermon notes if you'd like to research that further. Now, who are the people who are in the millennium, then? If we've already gone through the great tribulation, who are these folk? Well, the Bible says that there'll be 144,000 uh, Jewish preachers uh, released on the earth who are extremely passionate and zealous, and they will win a huge multitude to Jesus during this period we call the tribulation. Those who survive the tribulation will then populate the millennial kingdom in which Jesus is literally reigning upon the earth from the city of Jerusalem. Satan has been bound, so temptation is now very, very limited. The world will look like a much different place. It will look like paradise restored. And so that's where we get all the scriptures from the Old Testament that the lion will lie down with the lamb and will will pound our weapons into plowshares. And uh, the scriptures say if an infant dies at 100 years, he will be considered accursed. So lifespan will be increased. The Bible gives us some indication of what life in the millennium will actually be like. And at the end of the millennium, Satan is loose to deceive the nations. He's held in the bottomless pit. He is loosed. He is finally defeated and judged. We've looked at that in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne, and everything's thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And then eternity begins. Now, since the New Testament doesn't give us much more than a vague picture of what this period of time called the millennium is actually like, there's no point in being dogmatic. We don't need to argue about this stuff. But a lot of Christians choose to argue about this, though. I don't know why. Rather, shouldn't we be focused on the bigger picture? Christ is coming. We must be ready. We must tell others that he is coming. That is the whole intent of all of this, that we might be prepared and be about our Father's business of making disciples and getting the good news out to all who would hear. Make sense? Okay, so what about the millennium? What questions do you have? Again, this is really, really overview fashion here. Okay? So what questions do you have about the millennium? Yes.: Yeah, as far as the millennium's concerned, or just in general. Okay, uh, I think we can take the principle and extract it from there because Christians in the first century thought that the Lord's return would be immediate in their lifetime in this generation. Every generation since then has said this is the time when the Lord is coming. From that, we gather that a day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years like a day. It's just, God operates in a timeless environment. We are bound by time. We cannot fathom the infinite because we are held by finiteness. So time, everybody's concerned about time. Time, busy doing this, that, doing, I wish I had more than 24 hours, right? So when we look at that, there could be an inference there. As, in fact, we're going to come to that in two weeks when I talk about heaven and hell and the first heaven and first earth are burned up but the point of that passage, and, and this is very important, Ellen, I think you raise a great question. When we look at passages of Scripture, always put the Scripture in its rightful context. Go to the teaching passage in the Scripture about that topic. Because if we start putting verses uh, that really seem to be connected but aren't, what is the passage of Scripture teaching? Go to the teaching passages of Scripture rather than pulling a verse that might seem like it might apply. Go to the teaching passages. There are teaching passages on the millennium. So that's where we need to hunker down and sit. That's my opinion. It's important that when we use the Bible, we always put verse in context. So that's a very valid question. Could a day and a thousand years be synonymous? Sure, sure. But I also read that a thousand years is the period of time mentioned many times in that passage in Revelation. So I've chosen to say, "Ah, that's a literal 1,000 years. Now, some would say, no, that's just symbolic. And the millennium really is uh, uh, the reign of Jesus in the hearts of believers now. And the 1,000 years is just a symbol of a long time. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm not going to get too excited if you hold to that interpretation. And again, when I started this series, I said this. Did I not clearly say this? You have every right to be wrong. It's easy. It's really easy. (laughs) But good. No, very valid question. Very valid question because we're dealing with time factors there. And again, as I said, the Bible doesn't speak a lot about the exact nature of the millennium. It's just this time when Jesus reigns again on the earth. It's going to be fantastic. Will you be there? If you're a follower of Jesus, will you be there? Yeah. Yeah. The Bible makes that clear. You look at Revelation 19, he's got this whole host of people coming on horses with him uh, to reign. That's us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Any other questions about Malayne? Marshall. Well, how's your marriage going? Good. Then you're not. Are we in the Great Tribulation now? Could we be in the Great Tribulation right now? Why not? Okay. If it is, in fact, the next major event of Bible prophecy, and say you're not pre-trib, and what you think the church is going to be taken out here, but you think the church will be taken out somewhere. Yeah, can we go back there? Thank you. Uh, here... The first half of the tribulation is a time of peace in the revelation of the Antichrist in which the world will come together under one world order and system, right? Could we possibly be in the tribulation right now? Could the Antichrist be alive today? Let me ask you that. Absolutely. Antichrist could be alive today. Pastor Michael, this is going to be so good when you share this next week. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, uh, My personal opinion, you know, I I believe that we're much closer to the start of the tribulation than we were 2,000 years ago. (laughs) You see, you guys are awake. I knew it. (laughs) That was profound, wasn't it? Uh, The Bible mentions many signs that the end is near. I believe that a one-world system is much closer than it's ever been in human history. With the advent of the Internet and global communication and this whole idea of the, the, the global village, uh, we are setting ourselves up for a monetary political system that is, can be governed. Yeah, all the signs. I won't, uh, can't bog down here. But I do not believe we're in the tribulation now. I believe things have to get far worse. And understand, we're looking through American eyes, which is not fair. Because the rest of the world persecuted, much of the world persecuted for their faith, crying out to Jesus, risking their very lives to be a follower of Jesus. We don't get that. We don't get that at all. We're nowhere near understanding what persecution is really all about. But it's coming. I I tell us that it is coming. Jesus promised it would come before the end. He also said this, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a testimony. And then the end will come. And we're getting very close to that happening. Then in every tribe, tongue, and language, Jesus will be known. So, are we in the great tribulation? I don't think so personally. But I think... We're close. Yes. Is there not a time when the Holy Spirit is removed that in the Bible or is that just something the That is absolutely in the Bible. Uh, read Second Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, the the restrainer that Paul writes about. There's something holding back evil from absolutely consuming the world. And once that's removed, then literally all hell will break loose. No, no, because the only place where God is not is where? Yeah, I'm going to make a point of that. What makes hell hell? God is not there. Oh, that's a frightening, frightening thought, somewhere where God isn't. But even if you would say the church was raptured out before, what about all these Jewish converts converting multitudes to Christ? The Holy Spirit is here, working with great power right until the end. So to say that the church is the restrainer, yeah, okay. I can buy it. Personally, not, but that's okay. That's okay. Good questions. All right, let's get to the last one the judgment. The judgment. All right, how many of you ever had to stand before a judge? Good. How many of you have ever been arrested and fingerprinted? Wow! And understand, my hand's up, too. I've gone through it. If you want to know more about that story, that's for a different discussion, okay? Okay? Raise your hands again. Why do you guys all sit in the back row? All of you are in the back row. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. All right, how many of you have ever done jury duty? Whoa. Okay, Good. How many of you have ever had to testify as a character witness? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, one day each of us will stand before the judge. What's his name? The right answer to Southside is always Haha, <laughs> yes, sir. Romans fourteen twelve. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And physical death seals the deal. There is no more after that. Just as each person is destined to die how many times? You're not reincarnating. You're not recycled. None of that happens. No, 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 no. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Oh, I was thinking about that this week. You guys had some good questions last week about that. What about this? What about that? I thought, great questions. What about the widow of Nain's son? What about Jesus' daughter? What about the graves opening at the resurrection of Jesus? Was that resuscitation? Was that coming back? I said, I don't know. All I know, when Jesus walked the earth, some weird stuff happened. And what I do know is this, the Bible teaches we die once and then we're judged. Are there anomalies? God can do anything you want. we just saying, your ways, not my ways. I can't figure him out. I can't put him in my God box, my little theological God box. Say, God, you have to operate this way because that's what you said. Yes, that's what you said, and you always operate within the boundaries of what you said. But guess what? He's God, I'm not. And if he wants to do something weird, he'll do something weird. And he, is he always doing weird stuff in your life like he does mine? Yeah, just when we think we got it figured out. Okay. The judgment is not a single event, but a divine program. Here are several phases. You guys can look at this on your own. Unbelievers and believers. Where? Unbelievers, Great White Throne. Believers, Judgment Seat of Christ. When? The end of the millennium. Now the you know, millennium is. When are believers judged? At the return of Christ? When is that? I don't know. Okay, why? Unbelievers get punishment, believers get reward. What is the basis? Always deeds and works. Both, believers and unbelievers. So the judge is Jesus Christ. The Father judges. No one, study has given the Son absolute authority or all judgment, depending on your translation. Although salvation is by grace alone, all judgments are according to what? Works. Are works important? Absolutely. The good works God prepared in advance for us to do. We leave off Ephesians 2, 8. 9 and 10, you have to include 10 in that, right? The basis of all judgment in Scripture is our deeds and our works. And one day we will all stand before the Lord, not with anybody else, just us, and we will give an account for what we've done. Okay? The only escape from the great white throne is to know Jesus as our Savior and to live for him as our Lord. Okay? All right, so in the weeks to come, we'll talk more about the return of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about heaven and hell again. This is just some very introductory kinds of things. If you have some specific questions, send them on in. We'll try to work them in. If not, I'll get back with you. Uh, my question for you today is, are you ready? That's the big question. I just want to stuff your brain with some charts and other weird stuff. Questions: are you ready? Should Jesus come today? Are you ready? Would you just be waiting for Jesus to come? Say, come, Jesus, I'm ready. Or would our heads be hung in shame? Not now, I'm not quite ready. What is in our lives that make us not quite ready for the return of Jesus? Hmm. We're all about getting this good news out. And as you give here at Southside, a part of what we give is directed toward those who have not yet heard. And some of that pays salaries and keeps the air conditioning on, that kind of stuff. But more and more we want to be focused on giving so that others might know Jesus. So the ushers are going to come and we're going to give to the Lord as an act of our worship. But as we do, I'd just like to close our service by asking if you have any questions about what we've been discussing. So uh, you can go ahead and, and receive our worship in giving. Questions that you might have. Okay, what have you learned today then? Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. No, no, questions are good. Questions are always very good. Don't hesitate to ask questions. They're always good. Jesus is, Jesus is coming back. There's a great answer. When is he coming? No one knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven. But sometime soon, I believe, the fathers are going to say, Son, go get him. Time to come home. Time to come home. Good. Other questions? Good. All right. Why don't you stand with me? And we are going to read this together just as a kind of a benediction of sorts. Uh, the Word of God, this comes from First Thessalonians chapter 5. And so, uh, we don't have an identity crisis here at Southside. Men will be men, women will be women. Okay, here we go. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Yeah. Yeah. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you care enough about us that you, in fact, are willing to lay out the plan. Lord, we just want to say again that we trust you, but we also want to say prepare us for the day of battle. Prepare us, Lord, for your coming, and help us, Lord, prepare the way For others as well. Might we love, might we live this week as if Jesus were returning the hope of our salvation. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Uh, We ask your blessing upon this gathering and churches like this gathering not only in our community but across the globe who are giving you praise and honor and worship and looking for your coming. Father, uh, would you strengthen the weary Would you bind up the brokenhearted? Uh, Would you uh, motivate us and give us opportunity to share the good news with others this week? We tell you again, we love you, Jesus. We long for your appearing and use us this week. We pray together in Jesus' name and together, all God's people said. That's all, folks.